I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, Alan, I think we're going to be fighting over you today. Oh, I'm happy to be fought over. What a treat. It's been a few years. grateful that you had us on your show um, before Christmas and it was it was such festive cheer. We so enjoyed having all the Christmas treats on your show Alan they were so delicious. Well we we'd like, we make sure uh, uh, we always make sure that at the end of the program there's something best of British to try whether it's alcohol <laughs> or <laughs> pies or or whatever so it's yeah uh, that, that's your sort of reward for being kind enough to sit there and be grilled by me. Oh, and the truffles. <laughs> Has anyone ever thought Oh yeah. Mm. They were good. I just wanted to I, but but you were te- it was tempting though. I just wanted to not be interviewed and just be eating all, all the time. Well, come along another time, Jane, and just eat, and we'll just keep putting away to you enjoying yourself. <laughs> she loves the food, Alan. Jane does. You wouldn't know to look at her, would you? I'd love when, that. When I first, when, when, when I first lived with Jane, um, when I was a student, she used to make these Lancashire hot pots, and she, she, but she never shared them with me. She just ate the whole pot herself. I was very greedy, very, very greedy with my food. <laughs> you see, I look at you, Jane, and I have to be a little bit careful because there's a tendency with, with gentlemen of a certain age just to spread around the, the, the central portions, you know, just get a little bit bigger. And then I see people like you absolutely putting it away and that there's nothing of you. And I think, you know, metabolism is not fair. <laughs> I know, I do feel but very she's blessed. like a bee, though. She's like a bee, though. She never stops. She'd be a very good worker mm. bee. I think she'll have, to, she'll have to go and join a hive next year and she'd go pollinating the flowers she'd do it she'd do it wouldn't you jane well no but i'd eat all the honey so there'd be no stores for the winter well you know what they say you know what they say you know she eats like a bird four and a half times her own body weight daily I am um, my 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 builder. He's not, not my personal builder, but a builder. Oh, that I don't I know. know. It was just I was just picking my ears up mm-hmm. then. Yeah, go on. He um, <laughs> he absolutely loves you, Alan. And he said, "Oh, Alan Titchmarsh, he's from the northeast." And he said, "I can do anything with a garden." He just looks at it and he just transforms it. Like just looking at it, he transforms it. What inspiration could he could he reach for to well, recreate his own garden? Sometimes it's so it's such an obvious thing to say, and I always feel a bit stupid when I say it. But the thing to do is, is to go and look at the gardens that are nearest to you, 
Um, people, there'll be keen gardeners uh, in the same street or a street away. Look what grows well in their gardens. And it's not just down to them being good gardeners, though some of it will be, obviously. But it's what suits that area. And if you spend all your time trying to grow rhododendrons and camellias and there are none in your area, the chances are it's chalky soil and they don't grow well in chalk. Oh, what's that noise? Oh, I've got clocks. I'm, I'm a chiming clock man, so I apologise. Yeah, Ooh. every time, every quarter, uh, you'll get a clock. <laughs> How many clocks have you got? Now, I don't really want to have to tell you that. All uh, right. But, uh, uh, well, um, 20 odd. Not <gasps> all in the same room. So you are a collector. Well, I've always loved clocks. I've just always, and when I was little, we, we never had anything, you know, we had a battery one on the mantelpiece. But whenever I went to somebody's house and they had a chiming clock, a proper old clock, I used to think, oh, I do love them. And I always have so, I've, you know, got one or two of my own now, and I'm ever so fond of them. They're lovely. Mm-hmm. And, and my children aren't so keen because I think they think it just shows the hours and the days and the years ticking away. And maybe they feel that time isn't on their side. I just love them as sort of little, I don't know, they're company. They get, they're the heartbeat of a room, really. Mm-hmm. I thought you got some of Santa's little helpers um, there trapped. <laughs> well, over they're all sleeping the... now. They're resting, you see. So. <laughs> they're on furlough. Work their little socks yeah. off. They're on mm. furlough. Yeah. <laughs> Do they live with you, Alan, there in your house? What, the elves well, those, or the clocks yeah, or birds? Those, yeah, those birds, elves, really. yeah. yeah. Uh, well, my wife tells me that the, the, the fairies washed all the clothes again. Oh. You know, it was a magic fairy. Do you notice the laundry basket's empty? The fairy's been again. Mm, I'm one of those fairies. Are you? <laughs> mm, yes. I'm rather a tired fairy, a jaded oh, fairy. Oh, dear. <laughs> She's mad about washing. I'm not mad about it. I've gone off it big time. Well, you just Jane. remember, Jane, just say to yourself, Jane, in the old days, you'd have had to go down the stream and bash the laundry on the rocks. So yes, I wouldn't like that. that. But no. I'm, a, I'm a great pegger-outer, Alan. Oh, so, oh, yes. So this time of year, because I'm very keen on, on trying to preserve the environment, so I refuse to use my dryer, um, unless it's a puffer jacket. Um, but um, I saw so drying on a rack inside during this time of year is, like, horrible to me because I just love seeing the sheets billowing outside. Well, I get it in the neck from my wife when um, we design gardens on Love Your Garden and we do these wonderful gardens. She says, oh, excuse me, where's the rotary dryer? Where is it? <laughs> yes. It's there. I made a hole for it, but we're not putting it up, you know, when we're doing the programme. So we do have a rotary dryer in our garden and it's right across from the kitchen window by my Ooh, lovely greenhouse. I've got one of those. So I, I call it a I, whirly gig. A whirligig. Ali calls it whirligig too. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I love my whirligig. I have a lamb and a whirligig. <laughs> Double whammy. Well, have, have you got a clothes prop? Then? Yes. Oh, gosh. It's your Lancastrian <laughs> yeah. upbringing coming out. In my my, my um, ex-mother-in-law, not that I was married, but she was pretty much it. Um, she used to say, oh, Jane, she said, I see all your lovely Prada clothes hanging on your washing line and it just reminds me of the gobbles. <laughs> so, how many people in the Gorbals have got Prada in the clothes? Now we're into the spring. The spring is on its way. And um, what, what are your feelings of spring? Do they uplift you? 
Oh, every year without fail. I mean, it's what it's the start of the gardener's year. You know, it's not so much January, which is the start of the gardener's year. It might be the start of the calendar year, but you've still got a bit of time as a gardener, sort of get your ducks in a row or your rose bushes in a row um, mm. before the sort of growth starts in earnest in March. And it's I think that I always say the difference between gardeners and farmers is that gardeners always think that next year, i.e. now this year, will be better than last year and mm. farmers always know it'll be worse you know <laughs> so we're optimists and we I think the thing about gardeners is we are always we're enjoying the moment but we're always looking ahead and we're planning for what's to come so it means you're always feeling responsible for the development in the countryside or that little piece of earth that you call a garden and it, it lifts your spirits particularly in a year like we've had that mm. people have realized that the improvement to their mental health just by having a bit of space outside and by getting their hands in the earth and maybe sowing a few seeds, maybe even growing some food. It is mm. so important to us, yes. um, regardless of whether or not we're professional gardeners or keen gardeners. Just being in touch with nature, I think, has been a great salvation for so many people. Yes, yeah, I think really you're absolutely has. right there, completely. I wonder if, do you think it's going to like, you know, I wonder if it's going to carry on, you know, because so many people, like you're saying, have looked to nature. And I wonder if, you know, in 2021 onwards, people will start to take, you know, better care and sort of notice nature more than they have done in the past. And that can only help with the environment and everything, can't it, really? Oh, I do hope it it, it it is effective and it is lasting and durable mm. um, because I th sometimes we hear an awful lot about sort of the bigger picture, you know, I mean, quite rightly about climate change and global warming. And a lot of it seems to be levelled at countries and at governments. And it's easy to overlook the difference that we can make as individuals on that tiniest of patches because mm. all those little patches join up and there are millions of acres of garden in the UK mm. where we can all make a difference. And I, I like to think it's like, you know, if you hear a lovely piece of music, you, you don't never want to hear it again. Or if you mm. taste a lovely meal, you want to make it again. Mm. You don't think, oh, well, that was very nice. I remember that. So I'm, I'm hoping that that just a little bit of gardening or a little bit of, you know, being involved in the countryside will be a legacy that people want to keep revisiting and, and realise not only the benefits to themselves, but the benefits to the planet. Yes, absolutely. I mean, doing doing the bee ca uh, podcast with Esther, you know, we learnt on one of the episodes about, um, well, I learnt um, about bee forage and um, to think about planting uh, flowers that bees love is is also a nice, exciting thing to think about for the spring. And, mm. um, uh, you know, we're talking particularly about borage and um, and then getting borage honey, the idea of, of planting some borage in my garden um, actually fills me with quite a lot of enthusiasm. <laughs> well, the lovely thing is, Jane, it's easy to grow. Is and it? once you've sown borage, oh, once you've sown borage, you will have it forever. It seeds itself <laughs> about. But they're easy to pull up if you don't want that many of them. Mm -hmm. And it's got such a pretty blue flower. Um, and I, I love it. You know, you, you can drop dribble borage flowers over a salad. Uh, oh. They're edible, but they also look pretty. Um, and oh. the fact that they're also a good bee plant is a kind of double whammy, really. Yes. So, so they don't need, do they need much sunlight? They do like sun. Yeah, they like full sun. But if you sprinkle the seeds anywhere, and I say that anywhere on earth, um, they'll come up. All right, OK. Oh, that's good. Mm. I shall get some borage seeds. Do you think they grow on the moon, Alan? 
Uh, you know, it always, it's always amazes me when people say, oh, I want to be on that rocket to the moon or I want to be on that rocket to Mars. You know, <laughs> there is nothing I would l less likely volunteer for than <laughs> leaving this wonderful mm. green planet. Yes, for an which arid so land. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's funny, actually. And I do like a bit of winter sun. We're, <laughs> we're not getting there this year. We occasionally go to Barbados just for a, a 10 days in the middle of, usually in the middle of January, just to warm the bones you know mm. and it's a lovely break but you see all these travel posters and at, at all times of year and what have these travel posters got well there's, there's this three stripes aren't there the bottom stripe is yellow and that's sand then there's a turquoise stripe and that's sea then there's a blue stripe and that's sky and it looks lovely but that's all there is to it i mean if you go out mm. into the british countryside you've got woodland you've got moorland you've got mm. riverbanks the you've got Yes, all those greens, Jane, mm. and it's such... And they're such varied, of, aren't they, the greens? Yes. I haven't been abroad since last year, and to be honest, it was quite a long journey that I made last year. It was to Malaysia, and I thought, actually, I'd, I'm not interested in go getting on a plane again. Uh, not that it was awful, but I just thought, I, I kind of don't need to do because everything that I want is here on this soil, and mm. it's just so beautiful. And We were talking on another episode, Esther and I, about appreciating nature in our, in our countryside through this pandemic. And I think that, that just, just witnessing the seasons in a really kind of concentrated way this year, for me, has just made me, not, made me want to discover more of the UK. I'm so glad. I mean, I've been very lucky. Like you, I've tra travelled a lot over the years, everywhere from Australia to China and most of Europe and Scandinavia, uh, Canada, some of the States. And, do you know, it's very funny because only this morning is a thought just sort of shot across my mind as I was out. And it's not, a, not been a particularly pleasant day today. And I thought, do you know, if somebody said to me, you're not allowed to fly again, it wouldn't bother me. I'm lucky. All right, I'm older and I've been to quite a lot of places. And I think when you're young, you, you want to go and you want to see all these mm. places. Um, and I kind of think, well, yeah, but I can visit any of them in my head now. I mean, mm. I can go to Venice in the twinkling of an eye. I can walk the streets of Paris. I can, you know, go to the Rockies again in Canada. Because I've, I've been there. I don't feel a need to keep going back because exactly, as you say, of the variety that's here. And it's often so easy to overlook what's on your doorstep. Mm. And we all say that thing, don't we? You know, on a lovely day in Britain, there's no finer place to be. Um, mm. But I think we could all do with just exploring the bits of this country that I've that we've not seen. Do you know, the funny thing is with doing um, Gardener's World um, and Songs of Praise, which I used to present for a few years, quite a few mm. years ago now, I've been to every county in the British Isles. Oh, I'm, rather, I'm more proud of that than all the countries I've been to. Yes, <laughs> how wonderful. Which is your favourite county then? Well, I've got to say, I've got to, I will say Yorkshire because that's where I was born and brought up and I'm of Yorkshire yeah. as well as being from Yorkshire. That'll upset Jane. Exactly. Shall we have a fact? Shall we get the swords yeah. out now? Yeah. <laughs> what was that lovely <laughs> saying? Either side of the Pennines. What's the only good thing to come out of Lancashire? Answer, the bus to Yorkshire. No. <laughs> uh, or you do it the other way around. Yeah, I, I love it up there. But I've lived in Hampshire for nearly 40 years now and I love it here. It's rolling. I could never live anywhere that was flat. I would a little house on the Isle of Wight, which is very lucky, his little second home. I love the West Country, Devon, Cornwall, Dorset, mm. um, North Norfolk coast. There's mm. lots of places that, 
you know, they're all so different and they're all yeah. innocent. They are all so different. Yeah. It's amazing. And the beaches are absolutely, all those places that you've just mentioned mm. have absolutely amazing beaches. I well, mean, particularly the North Norfolk one, those great stretches of Flocken yes, Sands. Orkham, you know, it's yes. wonderful. Mm. Yeah, we are lucky, aren't we? Well, I think we overlook it sometimes. What we don't always get is the warmth that we quite need in winter for our bones. You know, we don't mm. stop anybody from warming up a bit in winter, but those lovely summer days. And, you know, spring isn't far away now. You know, we've got snowdrops just poking through, and that's always the first sign of spring's coming back. And every year, mm. you know, I've been gardening now for uh, longer than I care to admit, but every year it's, oh, gosh, yes, thank goodness they have come back. not really well I, I don't think I've got green fingers um I, I I sort of have spurts of enjoying gardening and then not enjoying it but I know you and Esther obviously are very both very keen gardeners and very how do have green fingers do you think it's just an innate an innate thing I can't say that do you think it's just an in <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's just a natural thing? Do you think it's just a natural thing that you have with gardening? Or do you think that you can grow good at it? I think it is innate. I think the thing about today's society is we've become so sophisticated and so technological from the Industrial Revolution onwards that that innate aptitude, if you like, has been covered up really by layers of sophistication, technology, all those things. And it's really just a matter of uncovering it. It is instinctive. It is, yeah. you can learn about it. You, you know, I've never stopped learning about horticulture, botany and things that grow. But if you get a feel for it, and generally speaking, that feeling that feel comes when you just mm. kind of calm down, dear, it's only a garden. Mm. That sort of just pause from it, look at it and think what it's doing, think what it needs by virtue of where it's growing. That's a plant. Look, it's growing in the shade. So it's obviously quite like shade rather than why would I dig that plant up from the shade and plant it in a parched, sunny spot, mm. where in a parched, sunny spot, a geranium will do very well, but uh, pelagonium, but it wouldn't really like the shade. And so, so much of it is common sense, Jane, really, mm. and observation. And But I do believe you're right, it is innate. And some people, it's closer to the surface than others. And, and mm. obviously, it's right up at the surface with the likes of me mm. who probably are not quite so good technologically what when when did you first discover your talent well it was an interest really that kind of and I think if you're interested in something um and, and you can do it then it becomes a talent I suppose really or maybe you do it because it's something you can do uh, and there's nothing like a bit of success to encourage you to carry on is I mean you know looking at your own career if if you'd been as we all often are, panned by the critics and not given encouragement or not let known that you were very good at what you did, you might have given up on it. Yes. And in the way, it's the same with gardening. If you put a seed in and it comes up, oh, you'll have another go and you'll try something else. Mm. And the greatest gift, the greatest, the people who are luckiest in life, I maintain, are those who discover what their aptitude is because I firmly believe that we are all best at something. Yeah, We've got I, to be I agree. by virtue of our individual DNA makeup. The lucky ones are those who find out what that something is. Yes, absolutely. Mm. That's very true. Oh, you, you're good on philosophy, aren't you? Oh, but I can't spell it. Um, <laughs> A lot can happen in the next three years. 
like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What can you tell us about, I don't know whether you have a big knowledge about bees, Alan, but can you, do, is there something that you could tell us about bees that we may not know? Well, I think that the thing about them is, is that, well, the one thing you, that, that, that you should know is that they need single flowers, i.e. flowers with a, a proper middle, with nectaries mm. and pollen. <clears throat> uh, double flowers, which are all petals, where the, the, the floral parts in the middle have been mainly replaced by extra petals, like big hybrid tea roses and double-flowered anything. There's less mm. nectar and pollen available to them. And, but what they're not discerning about is whether things are British native flowers. So, you know, you needn't get hung up on, oh, I can really only have buttercups and daisies and dandelions and mm. and whatnot because they're British natives for bees because bees are, are very adaptable. I've been very lucky. I had a lovely like, girl called Kate Bradbury who came to my little wildflower meadow here and, and totted up and I've got at least seven different varieties of bee in our little meadow and that was quite oh. exciting for me. Do you remember I'm what the varieties very... were? Oh, no, you see, I'm not really good at that. I can tell you buff-tailed bumblebee and that kind of thing. Oh, but yes. I'm not, I can't remember remember all the others but I was just happy that they were here yeah brilliant I mean, I've gardened organically for more than 40 years now. I don't use any kind of chemical sprays or inorganic fertilisers because you don't need to. Mm. If you've got a mixed garden of all different kinds of things, you tend not to get epidemics. I mean, mm. yes, you get a few green flies and you can squirt them off with hose pipe. And I've, I just like to think that I'm providing a little oasis um, for all kinds of wildlife. Just yes. You can't choose them, so the moles come as well as the, mm. the have you Have you ever been tempted to get hives yourself? I've got hives, but there's nothing in them. I've, I've always kept WBC hives as garden ornaments. I love them. I think they're wonderful. They are pretty, aren't um, they? And yeah. I never got round to keeping. got friends who do. Uh, and then I've got grandchildren now, a little. And I keep thinking, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't put any. Maybe one day I will. I mean, I do, I do think they're important. And mm. I like to think that, you know, at least I'm providing a food source, even if I'm not giving the bees a home actually on my land but even i mean i don't think um you know honeybees nowadays really because there's so many people keeping honeybees and beekeepers are managing you know managing the diseases it sounds like your wildflower patch is great for all the other pollinators and they're the ones really that we really need to be looking after all the bumblebees and suchery bees because the honeybees i think you know are doing okay because we can sort of monitor them a lot easier can't we 
Yeah, and it is the sort of wild bumblebees that I'm, I'm most interested in. I was reading, I mean, tell me if I'm right, I started recently, that isn't there a bit of a concern at the moment that too many people are keeping bees? Or, have yeah. I misread that? No, that's absolutely right. I think, you know, I started keeping bees. Um, I did like a, a course with a co-op, this Plan B, and they were trying to get, um, you know, people to keep bees in the city. And at that point, you know, about 12 years ago now, um, there wasn't many people keeping bees in urban areas. Um, but, you know, it's become quite fashionable. And, you know, I've been to hives in central London where they've literally got no no stores at all because there's so many people keeping bees. You know, on rooftops, a lot of businesses, they want, Gosh. you know, a nice garden planted on the rooftop, which is great, but then they want a whole you know, colony of bees, which, of course, in the summer is about 50,000 workers. And there's and they, not they enough need... there for them, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think that there isn't really... Um, there are too many beekeepers. Um, I think eventually, you know, people will get the message because if, you you know, if, if the bees will die off, obviously, if they've not got enough stores or... You know, they'll have to buy in their own honey, won't they? They'll have to start going to Asda. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it becomes self-regulating then, doesn't it, really? If you're not successful at it, going back to what we're saying about nothing like a bit of success for encouraging you to carry on, but if it doesn't work, then people mm. will give up and then only the, the keen ones who sort of keeping bees sensibly, as it were, will mm. survive. I did last year go up onto the roof of Fortnum and Masons and look at their four massive hives. Wow. But also if you get a beekeeper who doesn't know what they're doing and their, their mm. colony is not healthy, then mm. presumably that ill health can be passed on to other colonies which are being in, really better managed but which are going to suffer mm. because other colonies are suffering. Mm. Is that something that happens? Yeah. I mean, we, in all this, these years I've been keeping bees, I've been really lucky and um, I do treat for the Varroa mite. Yeah. Um, but this year, this last winter, I lost all my bees to European fowl brood, oh. which was devastating. And that's, you know, if people don't know how to spot it, then if, if again, there's not enough forage, if there's too many beekeepers, bees start robbing off other bees and then that's how they get those sort of diseases. What about the bouncers outside the beehive, Esther? Do they not stop the robbers? The guards do really give them a good once-over, but if the colony's a little bit weak, you know, maybe the guards, they've not got as many guards as they should have. You know, the, the, the healthier bees coming in can get through the guards and, it's, and so on and so on. Did you know that there were guards, Alan? Yeah, I'd heard that. It's nice to be reminded of it. I'm mean, mm. just thinking while you, you, you're saying all these problems, you know, it's so much easier being a gardener because if you get cabbage root fly, you know, you just grow carrots instead. And then when you get <laughs> carrot root fly, you grow spring onions. So there's always an alternative. <laughs> Whereas with your bees, you're a bit stuck, aren't you, unless mm. you want to give it home to wasps. Mm. But it's interesting. It's still... Because I... You know, it doesn't scare me, the diseases and stuff like that. I'm more, you know, I just think, well, you just got to keep going on, haven't you? And you've got to can keep... You, you can presumably replenish with more disease-resistant stocks as well, can you? I mean, are there certain colonies of bees that are more resistant, things like Varroa? There are. I mean, um, they're doing all sorts of research on, on, on honeybees that can bite the Varroa off, you know, give them a good crunch. And mm. um, some of them are better at cleaning themselves. 
It's been a really bad year for the Varroa this year because it was very mild. Mm. The colonies stay quite big into the autumn and the Varroa count has been a lot higher this year. So I'm going to be treating mine um, with um, an oxalic acid treatment, which will knock off the, the Varroa. So hopefully then they'll, they'll, they'll come in strong for the, for the spring. Well, there's oxalic acid in rhubarb leaves. Maybe if you grow rhubarb near your beehive, maybe that'll mm. help. Maybe I'll make them a bit of rhubarb crumble for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Can I just ask you a question just about, you know, sort of approaching the spring and cutting back? Because I, th I feel like I've always got that a little bit wrong. I have cut quite a bit back already, um, but... Um, but as we're approaching spring, should I have, should I really have waited for spring before I started cutting back? Well, I try and do a balancing act, really, Jane, because some of the seed heads and the, the dead things are, you know, the, the food sources for insects and for birds, and they're also places where a lot of insects that we hardly ever see shelter. So mm. you don't have to hack everything down in autumn to be clean and down to the ground. But round about now, yes, it is a good idea to just get going and start all those border perennials, herbaceous perennials. Mm. Herbaceous means they die down to the ground and they've got an overwintering root stock underneath the soil. Mm. You can cut all that off now, but compost it, don't throw it away. Mm. Rot it down in a heap and you can then put it back uh, on the soil as enrichment, you know, come the autumn. Um, mm. But yes, it is a good, it is a sort of what I call a dustpan and brush time of year in a way of, of cutting <laughs> things back to give all the new stuff a chance to come through so you can see the snowdrops pushing up through. Yes, and, and with, with compost, um, is, it, is it a good idea to spread some of your compost over um, your beds during the spring? Absolutely, perfect time. Yeah, because what you're doing, if if you've got, you know, any weeds that are all... I plant very close together. I don't get huge weed problems because cultivated plants tend to smother them out. Yes, you, I'm the same. You know, that's right. Well, so we should. Uh, but yes, extremely good idea because it seals in the moisture, which again makes watering less necessary, seals in the moisture and smothers any emerging weed seeds. So yeah, great time. Uh, do a decent depth though. Do a good couple of inches on the surface of the soil, not just half an inch, which will sort of blow away. But a couple of inches now laid on the surface of the soil any time between now and, and March is really money in the bank. All right, okay. Because you you do yours um, sort of in uh, in the autumn time, don't you, Esther? Sort of winter time, you put your compost down. Yeah, well, I mean, I I I put I've put some manure down uh, a few weeks ago, um, but that's on my allotment. Yeah, that's that's different. If you if you've got an allotment or a veg patch, yeah, you can start manuring right the way through the winter when you're digging and digging it in or laying it on the top and then yeah. lightly forking it so it goes in. So yes, with you know with with veg patches uh, and, and fruit, yes, certainly you can do it through the winter. But if it, in your beds and borders, it, I think spring's probably slightly a better time because mm -hmm. it lasts longer. So, Alan, I know you were saying about your lovely organic garden. It sounds so fantastic. I was just wondering if you've got any tips for, you know, natural uh, pesticides. Um, I use nematodes, which I'm a massive fan, fan of on the allotment. And it really does keep the slugs down. But what would you say to people if they go on, you know, to the garden and it just looks 
decimated and half eaten. <laughs> I think the thing you've got to realise is if you've been a, a chemical user and a sprayer and, a, and, and an inorganic fertiliser user, you've got to give your garden time to turn round, as it were, to organic gardening. It won't all happen instantly because a lot of the, the predators that you've been bumping off inadvertently with your chemical sprays, you know, most chemical sprays are not selective. Um, some are. You can get specific aphicides, which will kill a uh, green fly and leave ladybirds, lacewings and bees unharmed. But what they do still do is take a chunk out of the food chain so it gets imbalanced. Uh, but if, you just, if you're going to go organic, do it and do it properly and give your garden a year or two to sort of sort itself out for predator mm. numbers to build up. Don't grow masses of one thing in one place. If you grow a mixture uh, of, of plants, and most of us do, we're not running farms, you know, or feeding the third world, the natural balance will occur. And I seldom have epidemics um, here in, in my garden, but I'm tolerant of bits of everything. Everything deserves its place. It's right to be there. And yes, there are organic methods of pest control, like, as you say, little eelworms, nematodes that you can use to control a variety of things. What often is um, a deciding factor there is temperature. In winter, they're less effective than they are when the soil warms up. Mm. So, you know, using things, organic controls for things like vine weevil, which is a real pain in containers. They, these little grubs eat the roots of plants and you don't notice until they keel over and, and that's it. But the giveaway sometimes is the little notches eaten out of the leaves of things like rhododendrons, if you've got those in big tubs. And that's the adult vine weevil ch uh, chomping away at the leaves of, of a night. And you can go and find them if you go out by torchlight. And their Ooh. grubs are in the earth and, and chew away at the roots. That's soul-destroying. But again, there are organic controls there that you can water on. My sedums last year really suffered from um, from slug eating and they'd never done before. They'd always been fantastic, my sedums. So that, that seems strange that sort of they suddenly were eating... It yeah, it depends. It depends entirely. Weather is a great factor. Of course, when it's hot and dry, slugs and snails tend not to come out because they just desiccate. They like cool, damp weather, and that's when they're, they're worse. And that, of course, is what you get a lot in spring. Just as your hostas are pushing through, the weather is wonderfully mild and damp, and the, the slugs come out, and the hosta is a five-star hotel to, to mm. a slug. Mm. And what I tend to do with, with big clumps is in the garden. I, I get... They're made copper collars, you know, vicars, clerical collars um, that the vicars wear. You can get copper versions of that. And if you put them around the plant, just gently easing them into the soil, just as the shoots are coming through, the slugs and snails don't like crossing them. Apparently, they get a bit of an electric shock. Oh, I've really? never interviewed one and asked it mm, if it's mm. true, but it does seem to put them off. And where do you get them from, these copper, uh, you copper can get them from You can get them online if you just do copper collars, slug control or whatever. All right, OK. Uh, and if you grow hostas in pots... Uh, you can put little pot feet underneath big pots to stop them getting up. But then if you smear Vaseline around the rim of the pot, they don't like crossing that either. It's really just that most critical time when the leaves are just breaking through the ground that it's most important. Oh, they're great tips. When you were saying that, Alan, I was imagining what would they do if they couldn't, they couldn't, they, you know, they can't get over the Vaseline, they can't get over the little stones. What would they do? They get a ladder or maybe one would throw a piece of string down to the other Absolutely. one to climb up. <laughs> 
I'd love Somebody to like, go out there. Was, <laughs> there used to be an old uh, scriptwriter and comic writer, you may have heard of him, Jane, called Alan Melville. And Alan Melville mm. invented two controls. One was called Snail Away mm. and the other was called Slugger Off. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Slugger off. I love that one. That's brilliant. It's definitely, it's a good new animation, the um, the Vaseline Rim, it could be called. <laughs> it's beginning to sound slightly sordid, Jane. <laughs> You know when it's like this time of year, do you sort of sit by your fire and like decide what you're going to plant or do you, do you think, oh, this year I'm going to do this like all gardeners or because you're an expert, have you got any more to learn? Oh, endlessly. I was always, I was told at college that when it came to experts, just remember that X is an unknown quantity and spurt is a drip under pressure. <laughs> Uh, remind myself of that regularly always Mm. always i mean winter nights uh, it's not sounds terrible sitting down with a seed catalogue deciding what i'll go i've ordered and got mine already Uh, it's dreaming time and you know if you can't dream as a gardener and as i say think next Mm. year will be better than this it's always it's been courageous sometimes as well and giving up on something that you've tried and tried and tried to grow and you finally realize it doesn't actually like your conditions it's not Mm. failure on your part it's just growing the wrong plant in the wrong place yes change it yes exactly start again with something else and it's so funny when 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 a plant does you like your garden it completely takes over doesn't it (laughs) there's no middle ground is there Mm, yes So, Alan, have you got a veg bed in your in your organic garden? Do you grow any vegetables? And what's your favourite thing to grow? Well, I do grow veg. And, and this last year during lockdown, my wife and I were, well, we, we were on our own because we were over a certain age. Uh, and um, ITV wanted to do a series called Grow Your Own at Home. And would we do it? But Alison would have to film me. So she did, bless her. And oh, we did brilliant. six-parter six in our tiny weenie veg patch, which since then, I have to tell you, we've almost doubled in size. We enjoyed it so much. We've always, I've always had an asparagus bed, which I love. Mm. Um, and that's perennial. That's permanent. You know, you, you plant it and for the first three years you're terribly good and you you don't cut any any uh, shoots off it at all any um, you know to eat you you just keep it all and then it's wonderful the spears keep coming and you keep eating them uh, mm. but we've so we've got raised beds made out of sleepers because I'm on quite chalky flinty earth so I I built some raised beds or two sleepers high railway sleepers high filled mm. it full of imported topsoil which I use my own compost in as well um, and we've we love growing stuff and I think actually one of our favourites is climbing French beans as opposed to runner beans. Runner mm. beans are quite flat and they can get quite stringy. But climbing mm. French beans, which climb up out of the way of mud splashing, which often dwarf French beans are subject to, the climbing French beans are sort of pencil-shaped, wonderfully tender, and they crop yeah. over a long period. We love climbing French beans. But at the moment, I've still got a few leeks left that we're still digging up. That's what about marrows? Yeah, but, well, <laughs> grow courgettes and you'll forget that you've got a courgette or two and they become marrows. Now, Mrs. T does very good stuffed marrow. Mm. It, most Ooh, people do Very don't, nice. They, well, what you do, you get your marrow and you, you peel it, you cut it mm. in half, you scoop out the middle, you put savoury mince in, you wrap it in foil and you stick it in the oven. Mm. And it's gorgeous. Oh, Love it. So, mm. There's nothing like just going out to your allotment and just... 
you know, getting a handful of veg and thinking, oh, what am I going to do for tea tonight with this? And it's just so rewarding. I, I say to, you know, people, just even if you can grow a little bit of something on your window ledge, even if it's a bit of salad or anything, you know, a, a, you know, you can grow a, a courgette in a in a, a pot. It's just so worthwhile to eat your own food, isn't it? There's it's such just a brilliant. Sense of achievement, isn't it? It's the mm. fact that you've done it. You, you, yeah. you just don't factor in your time, or you'd realise how much it cost you. <laughs> but it's yeah. a pleasure and achievement. It's wonderful. Could you grow um, something like in an old shoe or a Wellington? Ooh. Yes, definitely. Strawberries I've grown... on the top of wellies are quite good. Oh right, yeah, because uh, they dangle over the side and they're out the way of the slugs as well. Ah, good. On the on, the, I worked on a community garden in a housing estate um, um, over the last few years in Islington, and um, we encourage people to grow things in Wellington boots and you know old shoes and stuff. And it's amazing what you can do. You know, you can grow. We grew some kale in a Wellington boot, and like <laughs> Alan said, strawberries. Bit with it. Yeah, a bit of salad, and <laughs> I grew some succulents in a bra. Oh. You see, I've yeah. I've never been able to do that. Well, I haven't got one. Oh. You haven't got a bra. <laughs> no, I did have somebody did have somebody throw one onto a stage at one point. But I think it was when I was in ground force. I think it was to take back for Charlie. I think that was the idea. <laughs> I don't think Charlie's still wearing one, is she? I don't know. I, I'd have thought by now she might. I used to get people saying to me, they used to say, uh, Oh, that girl, that girl with you, the one who doesn't wear a bra, you know, she'll regret it in later life. But I, I'm always <laughs> reminded of that lovely Victoria Woods line. Victoria said, she said, um, I've been told you've got to do the pencil test on your breast, mm. she said. And if you can hold a pencil under your breast, they're sagging. She said, I can fit a small branch of W.H. Smith's under mine. <laughs> <laughs> your patron of a charity called Horticap and what does it do? Well it's based up in Harrogate it's a lovely organisation they have greenhouses up there and they uh, provide therapy for physically handicapped able-bodied disadvantaged people uh, using horticulture as therapy they do oh, bedding lovely. plants in spring and summer they do wreaths uh, in winter and then they're using horticulture as therapy but also producing wonderful things for the local community and in and around Harrogate Horticap's really big and it's just the most wonderful charity that I've been associated with for a number of years because I love what they do and the people they do it with they're absolutely wonderful. It's quite small, but really effective. Mm. Oh, that's lovely. It's yeah, very nice. Well so done, So healing. It's, yeah, and it's just so healing. And like you said yeah, at the beginning yeah. of the programme, you know, people with all sorts of problems, you know, engaging in nature and growing stuff, it's just so therapeutic, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Lovely. I always think um, when when I'm being interviewed, Alan, I, I sometimes wish that somebody would ask me a question that was very left field. So yeah. if there was um, something that you would really have always yearned for somebody to ask you that's left field, what would that be? The thing I'm always aware of is not banging on. And, or There's so much at the moment intolerance of, of other... Uh, opinions 
And that worries me. I, I, you know, this whole argument about do you respect somebody else's opinion, do you tolerate it or whatever. I just think sometimes that that there's a tendency and a temptation to to think that there's only one answer, one solution. And if mm. working with nature teaches mm. you anything, it's that there are many ways of achieving the same goal. And I, I, th- I kindness is talked about a lot, but also generosity of spirit, I think, is mm. is the most important thing. Is 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 sometimes doing something which you wouldn't want to do, or you, you know, there are one or two political leaders, and I won't name any names, who I just feel lack generosity of spirit mm. uh, and w- when you're mean-spirited it's not an attractive um, facility and I I get up you know it, I do get upset about things but I just think it's, oh I've never gone on I'm a celebrity to get me out of here because I don't want to bore people rigid with my opinions they've got some of their own you know mm, mm. but do you know mm. ne- you never tire of talking about your specialist subject no, but I do. It's, I love doing things like Love Your Weekend because then I can ask the questions. I think when, you, when you're being interviewed, I mean, I hope being an interviewer, I can be a decent interviewee, but you do just hear yourself droning on, don't you, Jane? You know, you just think, I'd rather rather ask the questions and listen to somebody else who's more interesting. Well, that's what's been so lovely about this podcast, that um, I've been able to ask Esther and our wonderful guests, you included, um, questions, and I, you know, it's, it's just really nice to sit and listen. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It really is. It's so mm. nice to, today. And, you know, you're such a generous person. And I was thinking about nature and, you know, the abundance in nature that we're so lucky to have. And, you know, what you're just saying there, it just made me think about how, yeah, all these opinions don't mean anything in nature, Well, they do don't. They? I mean, the most yeah. important thing, I sometimes, you know, muse on what else I could have done uh, with my life. And, it, and it's, I mean, acting was a hobby. And I really love doing it. I realise also that other people are far, far better at it than me. And that's that's another thing about it. But I, I then thought, well, actually, I think for me, um, I just feel that looking after a bit of landscape is actually more important in the long term. I mean, goodness me, I love theatre. I go a lot and it's been a terrible year because we can't go uh, because that's part of the uplift in life but in terms of my contribution to it I'm probably better off growing things it doesn't get it doesn't get a lot of um it, it's not very often sung about um but everybody can make a difference and I I believe so passionately in the responsibility to a piece of earth without being heavy and boring about mm. it uh, no, that if boring, you can leave your little bit of earth however mm. tiny it is in better heart growing more things than it grew when you arrived and mm. supporting more wildlife be it insects birds bees whatever um, then you've done your bit and you've paid your rent for being on earth mm. and a lot of what we do uh, w- will just disappear into the ether but it was nice at the time you know and it's important that we have daily uplift as well and that's what theatre brings us and what um you know your line of work jane brings us is 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 information informing ourselves about things that we never really occurred to us by playing a part you know you're mm. demonstrating relationships and all that kind of thing and it's great uplift and we need uplifting on a daily basis and i, I just work at the longer term stuff which takes a bit longer to Well, you're a a great uplifter as well, and your programmes are hugely uplifting for many, many people. So, you know, it's just a different different form, isn't it, of of, of trying to... Yeah, totally, yeah. Both quite vital. And and Mm. it's if you can... 
you know, if you can just lift people out of it for a bit with whatever you do, I think that's really good. It must be better than being an investment banker. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> if not so, so profitable lucky. financially. <laughs> well, you, you've been an amazing guest, Alan. Hooray for Alan! So, so, so many fantastic facts that you've told us today. We love facts. Well, I'm happy to bore the pants off you any day. Well, you you've, want, not, you've not been boring. No, you've been very, very interesting. It's, um, all day it's, long. I'm sure our listeners will be absolutely delighted with all those, especially all the tips that you've given. Wonderful. Well, oh, good thanks, luck to you. Keep, keep raising your bees, Esther. It's a good thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, they're mm. all here now, sitting on the sofa, listening in, and they've <laughs> they've all got their socks on, and they're, they're very happy. No. <laughs> Be happy. <laughs> be happy. Be happy. Be happy, Alan. Yeah, you Thank be you. happy. You be happy too. Lovely to talk to you. Have a good spring. All right, lots of love. Yeah, lots of love to you. Bye, Bye now. Bye. Bye. Queen Bees is written and created by Esther Coles and Jane Horrocks. It is produced by Claire Broughton and Andy Goddard and partly recorded at The Hives on my allotment near Crouch End in London. Our title music is Sweet Nothing by Amy Mae Ellis and Will Cookson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Queen Bees Pod for pictures and videos from the hive. Queen Bees is a hat trick podcast.